0: And he's got a little Bible in that little zipper bag, and I would bring it, and I would it yeah. open. Now I either need giant print or keys, so I have both today. In Luke, he writes, at that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans (coughs) suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he went on to tell this parable. A man had a fig tree he planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit and found none. (coughs) So he had said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks, Thanks be to God.
0: God. I love it when y'all say that. You all pray with me? God of wonder, I pray that you once again, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Open our ears to hear this word and know your voice speak to our hearts, and strengthen our understanding in the most unimaginable ways, so that we may continue to serve you today, now, and always. I gave you a bit of a spoiler. I don't love the idea of repentance, and if I could have avoided it today, I would have chose a different scripture. One, because this whole idea of repentance, to me, was very laden with the sin language But here we are, the lectionary is what leads me in worship, and it guides the scripture that is chosen. So here we are again, back in Luke, for this third Sunday of Lent. The 40-day season traditionally conceived as a time for reflection and, of course, what? I'm going to say it again. The 40-day season traditionally conceived as a time for reflection and... Repent. So is there any way that I'm going to avoid the idea of repentance during Lent? No. I love the Gospel of Luke and all of its nuanced voices of direction. This week is no different. Luke's Gospel begins with John the Baptizer. We're not reading that part, but it begins with John the Baptizer's warning that the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, like any good author, it appears throughout the chapter. In this week's gospel package, Jesus picks up that very same theme. The time has come to change your life. Bear fruit. Ugh. Right? I mean, I'm sitting there reading this, and all I'm producing is a sermon, and this text is telling me that if I'm not bearing fruit, I can be cut down or slaughtered like the Galileans. All right, so I'm with that. But we can get to a contemporary implications of all this in a bit. We, the reader, join this text amidst an already ongoing and extensive teaching session with his disciples. I feel like he's in one of those accelerated courses, right? He knows that death is looming and near, so he is trying to teach them everything that they need to go on without him. He is urging them to waste no time in getting ready, For God's dawn of a new day. No pressure, right? If you're one of his disciples, you've got this new way and this new day coming. And your beloved brother and disciple is telling you to bear fruit. Just like many of us, repentance was a difficult subject for those disciples. Some commentators call Jesus' response a sort of poetic waterfall. That sounds really nice, right? And as much as he lays out these series of images in a succession saying something like, well, what about this? Or this? I think of the riddle me that kind of thing. The overall effect is a multi-layered composite portrait at once illuminating the topic and also testifying to its mystery because it gives no real direct answer. Like a poet expressing her inexpressible love with a cascade of similes and metaphors, Jesus uses the figurative language to help us apprehend the urgency of repentance. Yet he never talks about heaven and hell. Even if we can't comprehend exactly how this urgency and God's perfect mercy will interact with each other in the end, we do get it's an important topic. The illustration cascade begins early in chapter 12. His theme is the pressing urgency of bearing fruit worthy of repentance. Well now I gotta be worthy of repentance. It's really amazing. As Jesus, or as John the Baptizer put it, and to convey this urgency, he serves up all these images as if he says, What shall I compare the urgency to? Think of it this way: Do you respect and listen to human authorities? Then how much more should you respect the one with the authority to send you to Gehenna, which is the Jerusalem smoldering trash dump? It's a common figure for condemnation. Or think of it this way. Once there was a rich self-centered man blithely hoarding his possessions, but God said, you fool, this very night your life will end. What good will your stuff be then? Or again, think of yourselves as servants ready for action with your lamps lit and keeping busy, for God could come at any time. Or again, imagine you and your accuser walking to see a magistrate. Don't wait, settle the dispute on your own, even before you arrive at the court lest you find yourself in prison until you've paid that last penny. As the waterfall gains momentum, the message is clear. The time has come to change your ways. Now in this scenario, the story goes a little something like this. Recognizing this passage, is that the end of a rhetorical waterfall can help us avoid getting bogged down in the details of any particular image. These are illustrations, provocations, pictures, glimpses. They're meant to poke and push and make us uncomfortable. And this text makes me uncomfortable. It's meant to wake us up and to challenge us to live out a fruitful, generous life that God created us to live. And Jesus is urging his listeners then... Just as we can talk about, he's urging us now to be active, active in the part of the redemptive transformation. Why? Because the paths we're on, or they're on in that context, were barren, bloody paths of Pilate, the rich fool, the sluggish servant, the defensive litigant. They all lead in the direction of death and destruction. And Jesus calls us to reorient ourselves with the help of God toward a life of restoration. For Jesus, that's what repentance means. Get off the path of death and destruction. Come be in relationship with me and have life. Now, as we've seen, Luke frequently emphasizes God's mercy, which really bothers me that we talk about mercy and then now I've got to repent. I thought I could just have mercy. And this emphasis opens up implicit questions. Does God's astonishing mercy amount to license, to complacency? Does it even uh, then matter what we do, if God will forgive us in any case? Guarding against this line of thought, Jesus offers an illustration about the urgency of repentance. And changing the minds and hearts of both us and his disciples in the same writing, the answer is so that you may live. And this cascade focuses on the stakes involved and whether or not we take an active role in the redemption here and now. Listening to God, focusing not only on possessions, but on generosity, staying alert and ready for action, reconciling swiftly with opponents and otherwise bearing fruit worthy of repentance. To the extent that we follow in these paths, we live. To the extent that we do the contrary, Metaphorically, we die, right? But we walk a barren way of death, the path of Pilate, the fruitless tree. And these are warnings just woven throughout this image. Then there are less divine images about divine judgment from on high and more about the down-to-earth dynamics about daily life. In this sense, Jesus is more like a parent exhorting a child. Jesus' teaching is part of a parcel of divine mercy urging us to live toward that life of relationship. Not had a beautiful conversation with one of you, I'm not going to tell you who, last week or the week before. The conversation went a little something like this. Pastor, she calls me pastor and I still kind of look around when she comes to my office. <laughs> We were talking about changes and visionings of church imaginations. Anyway, let's not get too distracted with how this all started. She says, we've got to do things to grow this church. We might need to do things differently and people my age might need to get a little uncomfortable. That's a clue right there. Because we went to this church to be our, we want this church to be our legacy. Change is hard, but it means we'll still be around for the future. That's like tending to a tree. You know you will never climb. Jesus instructs us to water the tree from which we may never see its fruit, to repent both to God and in relationship with others. Creation is one in which we have no guarantees, no guarantee of fruit or long life. And yet when we are faithful, both to the tending of those earthly relationships that need tending and to the spiritual understandings of repentance, we are guaranteed life and fruit beyond this realm. So back at Luke, he has this overarching emphasis on divine mercy and the universal that God's love will not be denied And a vision of redemption we find not only in Luke, but also in Isaiah. And Isaiah kind of runs through, as we've talked about, you know, that 40 day peace that's running right through. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Like the rain and the snow that comes down and gives rise to harvest. My word, my promises, my forgiveness, my way of life and truth and love shall not return to be empty. God, too, wants a relationship that we are part of. In this scene, it was disciples, (coughs) right? He's instructing this core group of future church folks. Now, we see this text differently. We are those disciples. In fact, we call ourselves that. He wants one in which we are participants, where redemption is one way that we get to partner with God in creating life, both here on earth and towards this eternal kind of, we use big words at seminary, like eschatological, right? Does anybody, eschatological, say it. Isn't it a great word, right? But it's this, like, future, right? It's what God wants us to be in the heaven. It's that kingdom here as it is in heaven. The in heaven piece is eschatological. And if redemption is a piece of this future beautiful space that I get to share and co-create with God, well, be a part of that repentance, I'll participate in that, because that's what it's about, that's what true relationship is about, that's what mutuality is about, and as we journey toward the table and resurrection, Jesus helps us to see the value of repentance, and one of the commentators wrote this, it was really beautiful, and it's totally stuck with me, as prophets for a future that we may never get to be part of. That's deep, right? So we're planting and growing and repenting for relationships that may not get mended here on earth. For churches that we may not see the entirety of the fullest sanctuary on our land. And yet we're tending to that vision of a future church, of a future life with our families. We are prophets for a future that we may never get to be a part of. That is faithful living. And if repentance is not only a part of it, it's an integral part of that. It's what real relationship includes. And he says that nonetheless, it is worthy of participating in tilling the ground for. I find this vision of repentance a much more palatable version. Versus just a sin and kind of like a divine math problem that I sin so to fix it I need to go repent and then it can erase with a magic eraser. Repentance means that I am participating in the divine creation and the love that God offers. That makes a whole lot more sense to me. That makes sense that Jesus asked us to repent because <coughs> that's what being a part of a loving relationship with God creation and our neighbor includes. Without that it's just a really shallow understanding of what each other is all about. It isn't filled with shame or guilt, simply a methodology that helps to fertilize the future for myself and others. I don't know. I have a, I, while doing this I made a whole list of things that I need to repent from and to. And I'll work on that, but as I go through my list, I think about how that repentance can soften my own heart and how it can allow me to be more open and fully present to the vision that God has for us as a church, for me as a woman of faith, as a mother, as a wife, and I'm willing to participate. My hope this Lenten season isn't that you allow repentance and the idea of it to beat you up, but that you allow it to open you. That you allow it to fertilize your soul in unimaginable ways. Like that fig tree that had no guarantee of certain life. It was granted life because it was being fertilized. My hope is that you allow repentance to show you where you are already bearing fruit and where you could till the ground a little bit more. Blessings to you as you continue to meditate on what the text means for you this week. Amen.